Welcome to the History AI Podcast, where the past comes alive with facts, anecdotes, and a dash of humor. Here are your hosts, Chuck and Marco. Welcome to the History AI Podcast. I'm Chuck. And I'm Marco. Today, we're diving deep into the life of a medieval superstar, King Richard the Lionheart. That's right. The man who was more at home on the battlefield than in his own bedroom. You mean he preferred chainmail over bedsheets? Exactly, Marco. But before we delve into his life, let's take a brief look at his family history. Let's start from the very beginning, Richard's lineage. Born on September 8, 1157, in Oxford, England, he was the third of five sons of King Henry II of England and Eleanor of Aquitaine. That's a lineage that reads like a who's who of medieval nobility. Henry II, his father, was the first Plantagenet king, a dynasty that ruled over England for over three centuries. And don't forget his mother, Eleanor of Aquitaine. She was one of the wealthiest and most powerful women in Europe. She previously was the Queen of France before marrying Henry II. Right. Eleanor was a patron of the arts, and it's believed she played a significant role in the development of courtly love culture. Speaking of love, the marriage between Henry and Eleanor wasn't just a love story, it was a political powerhouse. Their union brought together vast territories, stretching from the Scottish borders to the Pyrenees in the south of France. But it wasn't all smooth sailing, was it? Their marriage was turbulent, with power struggles and even imprisonment. Absolutely, Chuck. Eleanor supported their sons in a rebellion against Henry in 1173, which is wild considering Richard and his brothers were rebelling against their own father. Family dinners must have been tense. So, Richard had three brothers, Henry the Young King, Geoffrey, Duke of Brittany, and John, who later became King John of England. Right, each of them, like Richard, played significant roles in European politics. Henry the Young King, co-king with his father, was a symbol of rebellion, while Geoffrey dealt with the politics in Brittany. And then there's John, often known as John Lackland. He became the infamous king whose reign led to the signing of the Magna Carta. These family dynamics set the stage for Richard's character and reign. He grew up in a world where political intrigue, power struggles, and military campaigns were the norm. Indeed, Marco, Richard's upbringing in such a turbulent and powerful family deeply influenced his path to becoming a king and a warrior. Let's now delve into Richard's early life and his myriad talents. Born into royalty, his early years were marked by a robust education and training. Absolutely, Chuck. Richard was born in a time when being a prince meant more than just wearing a crown. He was educated in both the arts of war and peace. He learned military tactics and strategy, which would later define his role as a military leader. And it wasn't just about swords and shields. Richard was also well-versed in languages. He spoke Latin, Occitan, and, of course, the language of his Angevin lands, French. Surprisingly, he barely spoke any English. That's right. And let's not forget his cultural education. Richard grew up in the courts of his father and mother, which were centers of cultural and artistic activity. He was exposed to the troubadour culture from a young age. This exposure nurtured his love for poetry and music. Richard himself was known to be a skilled poet and musician. His compositions in the Occitan language are still remembered today. His early life was also marked by the turbulent relationship within his family. Richard was deeply involved in the politics of his father's empire. He was only a teenager when he first rebelled against his father with his brothers. These experiences, 
both at court and in rebellion, shaped Richard's political acumen. He learned the complexities of ruling, negotiating, and, when necessary, fighting for power. Another crucial aspect of his early life was his relationship with his mother, Eleanor. She was a significant influence on him, both politically and culturally. Indeed Marco, Eleanor's influence is evident in Richard's appreciation for the arts and his chivalrous nature, traits that were highly admired in the medieval period. So, by the time Richard ascended to the throne in 1189, he was not just a warrior but a well-rounded leader, equipped with both the sword and the pen. A true Renaissance man, before the Renaissance. All right, let's dive into Richard's rule. He ascended the throne in 1189, following the death of his father, Henry II. His coronation was a grand affair, wasn't it Marco? Absolutely Chuck. Richard's coronation was held in Westminster Abbey, a ceremony filled with pomp and splendor, befitting a king of his stature. But Richard's reign was unique. He spent only about six months of his ten-year reign in England. The rest of his time was spent abroad, mainly on military campaigns. That's right. His primary focus was the Third Crusade. Richard was deeply religious and passionate about the Crusades. He believed it was his duty to fight in the Holy Land. This led to the famous Saladin Tithe, a tax levied to fund his crusade. It was one of the largest taxes in English history at the time. And his crusade was not just a military venture, it was also a financial one. He sold off titles, rights, and properties to raise funds. He's famously quoted as saying, I would sell London if I could find a buyer. He certainly had a way with words. But let's talk about his military strategies. Richard was known for his tactical genius. His victories at places like Cyprus and Acre were due to his innovative military tactics and leadership. Indeed, his siege warfare tactics at Acre were particularly notable. He successfully led the siege and capture of the city, a crucial victory for the Crusaders. But it wasn't all about war. Richard also showed his kingly diplomatic skills. He negotiated a settlement with Saladin that allowed Christian pilgrims to visit the Holy Land. True Chuck. Richard's reign was also marked by significant challenges back home. His brother John and the French king, Philip II, were constantly plotting against him. His problems were compounded when he was captured and imprisoned on his way back from the crusade by the Duke of Austria. That led to another huge tax to raise his ransom. The people of England had to pay a hefty price for their absent king's return. Once back, Richard focused on strengthening his realm. He developed fortifications and reorganized the administrative system. Despite his long absences and the heavy financial burdens he placed on his subjects, Richard was respected and admired. His military successes and charismatic leadership made him a legendary figure. His rule, though marked by war and absence, left a lasting impact on England and the medieval world. Let's take a moment for our sponsor. We'll be right back. From the mind behind the History AI podcast comes an electrifying journey into the past. A ripple through time, Franklin's folly. Dive into a tale where Benjamin Franklin, America's beloved inventor, takes an unexpected journey through time. But with his leap, he unleashes a powerful ripple. Now, with dark forces lurking in the shadows, harnessing this energy to shatter and enslave the world, it's a race against time. Will Franklin fix the future? Or will history rewrite itself? Uncover the secrets. A ripple through time, Franklin's folly. Time has never been more fragile. On Amazon now, 
Now let's focus on one of the most defining aspects of Richard's reign, his involvement in the Crusades and his military campaigns. Yes, Chuck. Richard is best known for his role in the Third Crusade, which was primarily aimed at recapturing Jerusalem from Saladin, the Muslim ruler of Egypt and Syria. He didn't jump straight into the Crusade, though. First, Richard secured his borders. He made a tactical alliance with the Scottish king and settled disputes in Wales. Smart moves. In 1190, Richard left for the Holy Land, stopping first in Sicily. This was more than just a pit stop, Richard actually helped his sister Joanna, the widow of the King of Sicily, to secure her rights there. Then came his capture of Cyprus in 1191. This was a strategic masterstroke. Cyprus served as a vital supply base for the Crusaders. Upon reaching the Holy Land, Richard's military prowess really shone through. The Siege of Acre in 1191 is a prime example. Despite arriving late, Richard played a pivotal role in capturing the city. His use of war machines like trebuchets was groundbreaking. His leadership revitalized the Crusader army, which had been besieging Acre without success. After Acre, there was the famous march to Jaffa. Richard led his army along the coast, staying close to his fleet for supplies and support. That march demonstrated Richard's understanding of logistics and battlefield tactics. He knew the importance of keeping his army well supplied and within reach of support. The Battle of Asif in 1191 was another highlight. Richard's forces defeated Saladin's army, showcasing his tactical acumen and bravery. Despite these victories, capturing Jerusalem proved elusive. Richard recognized the logistical difficulties and the potential for a prolonged conflict. Exactly, and that's where Richard's diplomatic skills came into play. He negotiated a treaty with Saladin in 1192, allowing Christian pilgrims access to Jerusalem, though the city remained under Muslim control. This treaty, although seen as a compromise, was a significant achievement given the circumstances. Back in England, Richard's absence led to instability. His brother John was plotting to seize the throne, and the French king, Philip II, was making moves against Richard's territories. When Richard finally returned to England in 1194, he had to deal with these issues. He spent the last years of his reign reconsolidating his authority and fortifying his lands. His military campaigns extended beyond the Crusades. He fought in Normandy against Philip II to protect his French territories. Richard's military campaigns, both in the Holy Land and Europe, were marked by his innovative tactics, leadership skills, and occasional diplomatic prowess. Let's now turn to the final chapter of Richard's life and his enduring legacy. His death in 1199 was as dramatic as his life. Indeed, Chuck. Richard's demise was the result of an injury sustained during a minor siege in France. He was struck by a crossbow bolt at the castle of Chalachabrol. What's ironic is that this injury wasn't in a grand battle or a heroic crusade, but during a relatively minor conflict over a disputed treasure. After being hit, Richard was treated, but the wound quickly became gangrenous. This was a time long before antibiotics, and such wounds were often fatal. Richard died on April 6, 1199. His last act was a display of his chivalrous nature. He forgave the young boy who shot the bolt that killed him. His death marked the end of an era. Richard's absence during most of his reign had left England and his French territories in a precarious state. But Richard's death also had profound consequences for his brother John, who succeeded him. 
John's reign was marred by rebellion and the signing of the Magna Carta, a document that would have a lasting impact on English law and governance. Richard's legacy, however, extends far beyond his death. He became a central figure in folklore and literature, often portrayed as the epitome of chivalry and knighthood. His life and deeds inspired countless stories, including the legends of Robin Hood, where he's depicted as the noble king returning to save England from his corrupt brother John. Historically, Richard's military skills and his role in the crusade significantly influenced Christian-Muslim relations for years to come. His tactics and strategies were studied and admired by military leaders for centuries. His reputation as a warrior king also overshadowed his lack of interest in administrative affairs. Despite being an absentee ruler, Richard's charisma and heroism left a lasting impression on the English and European collective memory. In art and popular culture, Richard remains a symbol of courage and leadership. His life has been romanticized in operas, novels, and films, shaping the perception of the medieval knight and king. So, while Richard's reign was short and fraught with conflict, his impact on history, culture, and the collective imagination has been profound and lasting. Well, that's all for today's episode on King Richard the Lionheart. We hope you enjoyed this journey back to the 12th century. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share our podcast. Your support means a lot to us. Thanks for listening to the History AI Podcast. I'm Chuck. And I'm Marco. See you in the next episode.